Hello and welcome to the podcast Lotus Eaters, episode 747. I'm your host, Harry, joined today by Lewis Brackpool. Hello. Is this the second or third time that you're on with us? I think it's the third now. Is it already? Yeah, Bloody already. Yeah. I think I was on the first time that you were here and we discussed <laughs> yes. the uh, conspiracy pyramid, which yes. was just absurd. There's so much <laughs> absurdity going on in the world these there days. Um, it's tiring. It's very, very tiring. And on that note, we'll be covering some very tiring topics today. <laughs> I know that tr researching some of these over the past few days has made me, it put me in somewhat of an impatient mood. And that will be talking about HS2 being a complete scam and Ponzi scheme, which I'm sure many of you know. But do you know quite the extent of it? That's what you'll find out. Lewis will be discussing the invasion of Lampedusa. And I will also be going over to finish off the day, a day in the life of a dodgy delivery driver. <laughs> and when I say that, I mean every single one of them. And just, just let, it, let it be known. I, I used to order from delivery. I used to order from Just Eat and all these things. I stopped. One, because the service was absolutely terrible. <laughs> and if you get screwed over by one of these I'm the twats uh, who <laughs> delivers for them, sorry, um, uh, then they, you won't get your money back. You won't get them. They won't knock on your door. They'll say they couldn't find you. They'll say you, you didn't pick up your phone when they tried to ring you, and they didn't, mm -hmm. actually. And they'll just leave and give your food away. And then you'll get into contact with them, and they'll say, oh, sorry, you, it's your fault, actually. It's your fault that we hired barely illiterate retards, and they can't figure <laughs> out where your house is. And they won't give you your money yet. So as well as receiving terrible, terrible service from them, you're also facilitating the um, continued employment of illegal migrants who shouldn't be working here in the first place. So if you're, if you're thinking, if you're at home right now and you've got the day off and you think, oh, I fancy a pizza, go and pick it up yourself. That's what I'm suggesting here. Is there anything you'd like to add? Before <laughs> um, we to uh, not quite. Uh, I think we've got, a, I think we've got a packed show today. It's going to be good fun. I say good fun. Yeah, yeah. Fun's a, a word for it. But... Fun's a word for it. Yeah, yeah. We, we had some white pilling days over the past few cool. days where Dan was in charge and he decided, you know, boss man's away. And so the children will play. And uh, now we're back to business as usual. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I should probably point out that we do. I don't think John's got it up on the screen, uh, but we do still have the Sargon uh, code running at the moment for the promotional code that we have. That's Sargon with an E at the end. And that will be 50% off to any and all uh, memberships that you buy on the website. Just to clear up some details as well, Pete made sure that I do this. You have to apply the code through Stripe and not through subs, uh, one of the other payment systems that people use a lot of the time, just because apparently it only works if you're using Stripe. And I think John's just getting it up right now, just so that we can see once again, <laughs> boss man himself enjoying his time in the sun. <laughs> If you zoom out a little bit, John, because we've just got a big close-up of his face. That yeah, there we go. Sargon, Sargon, Sargoni. There you Sargone. go. Sargonic. Um, <laughs> so Sargon is the promo code, fifty percent off, and that will mean that the first three months of your subscriptions are half price each. So there we go. Just to clear that up, and now, John, if you could just give me control of this again. Thank you very much. Let's get into how HS2 is a complete Ponzi scheme, which it is. It's a scam. For those who don't know, HS2 is something that's been going on forever at this point. Oh, dear. Just technical things. Here we go. Yeah, uh, for those who don't know, HS2, you probably do know, it's probably come through and ravaged your town center just like it did to mine. But for those who don't know, 
HS2 is Britain's new zero. It's not new. It's not new. It's been at least <laughs> a decade old, if not older than that at this point. I think it was maybe the late 2000s, early 2010s when this was originally announced. It's a high-speed railway looking to improve the uh, current infrastructure that we have in the UK, where we've got terrible train services that are constantly late, constantly being delayed for one reason or another, and they just don't, they don't work. And instead of saying, Let's take the things that don't work in our current existing rail infrastructure and make it so that they do work. And you can't blame it all on pure privatization because they are run by the government. It's true. Um, They've said, let's do this stupid thing and waste everybody's money because that's what the governments are good at. They go, can we improve something that already doesn't work? No, let's build something else that also won't work, but we'll spend (laughs) lots and lots and lots of money that we can distribute to all of the fashionable causes and NGOs that we like in a more discreet way than if we just announced on the government website that we're going to be giving all of this money. And once again, like I said at the beginning, you probably already know that it's a scam. It's a scheme to throw away taxpayer money. But do you know just how bad it is? Anyway, I'll just continue just describing what it is first for anybody who doesn't know. So it's the UK's flagship transport leveling up project. Are we all tired of leveling up yet? I am. <laughs> Build back better. Yeah. God. <laughs> It is the biggest rail investment ever made in the north of England and is Europe's largest infrastructure project. Now, once again, I actually like the idea of there being good rail infrastructure in the UK. We're a very small country. And having rail infrastructure and good working public transport is a very good thing. Not just for climate initiatives or anything else the government wants. It could just work better and be more convenient for people. Because I know, for one, this country is overcrowded as all hell and trying to drive up and down the country going down the M5 and M6 is an absolute nightmare because it will just pile up with cars. You will be in an eternal traffic jam all the way up. So if you have better rail links that actually work for people, that's a good thing. I think that's something that's sensible for everybody. They also say here, major civil engineering works are now underway with £23 billion contracted into the supply chain and around 350 active sites between the West Midlands and London, supporting almost uh, 30,000 jobs delivering benefits before a single train has started running. And you can guess, you can guess, are those 30,000 jobs, are they all going to be laborers on the ground doing productive, useful things? No. No, obviously they're not. The new high-speed rail line will run between the northwest and southeast, stopping at Manchester, Birmingham, London. Trains continuing in the existing network to Scotland and elsewhere. In total, over 250 miles of new high-speed line planned across the country, including HS2 Phase 1, linking Birmingham, London and the West Midlands, 2A, extending the line to Crewe, where I'm from. I've mentioned it a number of times, but I just want to point out there that Crewe has been absolutely ravaged by this because all the council has decided to do ever since it was announced that it was going to be running through Crewe is change the town to be able to facilitate all of the new investment and the new population that are expecting to come in who will basically be people who come to live in Crewe who are going to be commuting to London. That's been the expectation that I've always been hearing about. And uh, to do that, they have destroyed the town center, destroyed business. They've uh, destroyed the last remaining music venue that they had there to build a car park that's right next to the train stations for people to, you know, oh, we're going to have so much many, so many more people using the train here, even though we're already a massive train network. right? Um, so we'll just tear this down, build, yeah. a tra- build a car park. It's not even a bleed car park now. They just didn't do it. So now our music venues are just gone. Thank you very much for that. And, uh, and now I'm hearing rumors that it might not actually go through crew after all, because given how useless this whole thing is, I'll be surprised if they even get 100 miles of it built. 
phase 2B, completing the lines of Manchester, and it'll be just be going through the places that we've said. They're also building tunnels for it. Massive underground tunnels. None of which, I reckon, will be structurally secure. No. Uh, <laughs> personally, <laughs> no. I don't trust that they just won't cave in the centre of the country building these things. The new high-speed rail tunnels between London and Crewe will form part of the HS2 network. A total of 65 miles of tunnel will be created between London and the West Midlands. Ten giant tunnel boring machines will be used in five separate tunnel drives to dig HS2's twin bore tunnels. In total, 130 million tons of earth will be excavated because we care so much about the environment in this country. Enough to fill Wembley Stadium 15 times. I would suggest perhaps enough to cover the entirety of London, but they keep ignoring my phone calls. HS2's Chiltern Tunnel will be 10 miles long and run at depths of up to 90 meters, making it the deepest point on the route. So that's the projections. That's what they're all saying. And by the end of this, you'll be angry with the government, angrier <laughs> with the government, as always. And on that, I'd like to point out that Josh has recently done some heavyweight interviewing of a former heavyweight champ, David Nino Rodriguez, talking to him about boxing, his move to political posting, podcasting, religion, and the current state of the United States. So you should watch that if you've got any interest in the other videos that we put out on the website, which are all excellent quality, and you absolutely should. Because I think this is relevant because Rishi Sunak, you weren't in charge of the government when HS2 was announced. You've not <laughs> been in charge of the government for most of the time that it's been going on. But you are the face and head of the government, probably, right now. As such, I want to officially challenge you to a boxing match. <laughs> you better first. For, for control of the country. <laughs> I win. I'm the new head of the Tory party. You win. Life goes on, really. Nothing, really. <laughs> Nothing no benefit. I mean, what, 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 what can you want from me? What do I have to he offer you? He takes control of crew. And <laughs> can't do a worse job than the local council already has, to be honest. So I understand I'm somewhat larger than you, somewhat heavier than you. I have a much longer reach than you. I doubt you could bench even the weight of 120 kilogram bar. You certainly couldn't deadlift your own body weight. So I'm going to offer you this deal. I will do it with one arm tied behind my back. Wow. So that should, probably won't even, even the odds, but still, it'll help you a little bit. And we can have one year to prepare for that. So <laughs> I uh, look forward to hearing that you've accepted my invitation. And hopefully uh, I'll see you in the ring this time next year. Anyway, <laughs> what spurred me on to do this segment, to look into all of this, was this incredible tweet thread that I was made aware of by our wonderful editor, Rory, by a man going under the name of Kev. In his little profile, you can see there that he has a picture of the former Singapore leader, whose name I've forgotten, but who is an absolute man of steel, someone to be looked, looked upon as a hero for the people of Singapore. It uh, goes under at KevinF567. So if this is at all indicative of the content that he puts out on Twitter often, then you should follow him because it's very, very interesting and very, very useful. And he just starts this off by saying, HS2 tunneling costs are actually insane. You want to know where your money is going? And well, yes, we do. So let's find out, shall we? So I'll just go through this tweet thread and another one that he's done. And we can see just what they're doing with the money. So this, this work that he's going over is I think it's a 12-page document breaking down all of the tunneling costs okay. of HS2. And it's not looking good. It's not, it's not looking good. So to start, they've got the tunnel boring machines, which you need two of, because as he says, you can't just turn it around at the other end. 
Uh, and each of those is about 16 million pounds each. Okay. And then you've got slurry machines or two uh, to take away all of the tunneling material. Not unreasonable fixed costs, according to Kev. I'm not as uh, up to date with how much all of this should cost, as I imagine he is. But they're saying 45 million pounds each for these, these machines. So uh, we're already really reaching the level of hundreds of millions of pounds. But we've got a budget of billions that we can draw from, which we've already spent Magic billions Magic money on. tree that we were always told. Yeah. Just think of it like <laughs> this, though. Like when you start to get into the realm of billions, it's enough. It's difficult enough for somebody to conceptualize mm -hmm. what a million of anything is. Like try and picture a million people in your head, and you probably have a lot of difficulty doing that just because it's so outside of your Bust. frame of re reference. Then imagine a billion, and then imagine a few extra billion on top of that. Imagine twenty-three billion. Imagine over a one hundred billion, and you're just getting into the realm where, for most people, that might as well sound like magic numbers. Yeah. Because it just Graham oh, numbers. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, you might as well just say mixolydian. <laughs> just come up with any. Oh yes, yeah, I can picture that. Yeah. Yeah, there, there you go. Just come up with <laughs> any sort of random syllable or vowel noise and add <laughs> billion at the end of it, and you're in the and you're in the same realm here because it's absolutely ridiculous how the government manages to find this money. Well, it's actually no, it isn't because they just tax you for it, uh, and then spend all of this money. It's impressive how much they can spend money. Because he says, this is where it goes mental. And we've got this part of the document here that says time-related costs. 1.1 million pounds per week, which, have de uh, which, what are these costs? Labor and management and supervision, among other things. They've got hiring, plant and equipment, servicing the site, security, cleaning and maintenance costs. So a lot of that um, he's, got, he's got saying, oh, wow. he's saying here, um, are how many workers would that get you? 50K a worker costs 1,000 pounds a week. So that would get you about 1,100 workers. Well, I think it would probably be actually 52K a worker, but Something still. Like that, yeah. So you could get 1,100 workers per week. Why do you need 1,000 workers to dig a hole? <laughs> HS2 doesn't explain. Do you reckon all of those people who are working are actually going to be working? No. I'm picturing, you've seen that picture of the single man digging, yeah, a, digging hole, a hole. And, the, the and there's the, the line yeah. of managers with clipboards there saying, sorry, Gary, we've decided we have to make cuts, so you're going to have to go. That's what, it, that's what it actually will be, because these whole things are bureaucratic nightmares and schemes so that you can get large management companies in who you can just pay, because they're your friends. And you want to pay your friends to do the thing that they do, which is basically nothing, certainly nothing useful for the country. As much as a project like HS2, you know, if, if it actually did what it, if it actually is going to do what it's promising to deliver on, would be useful. And then we've got Bear in mind, these aren't navvies. They've already expensed the F out of automated tunnel boring machines that do all of the work. So you probably only need maybe a couple of dozen people to man those, not a few thousand. Got you. Unless you've got maybe a couple of hundred managers on site at all times to make sure that nobody's saying anything offensive to hurt each other's feelings. <laughs> True. HR departments and all that. Yes. Yeah. HR departments <laughs> filled with women who are only there to tone police the actually useful people on the sites. Although that's just what I've heard from my friends who actually work in construction. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, he just, he just says, what, like, this is going to look like mo uh, you drive past roadworks on the motorway all the time, right? Mm. How, how often, though, are there anybody actually there instead of there just being a load of cones blocking you? 80 to 90% of the time from what, when I see it, mm -hmm. not a lot. Mm -hmm. Not a lot. Um, 
And if there is, there's always someone sitting in a in a van on his phone. Usually. Of course. Yeah, there's always that. Of course. And, but then he, then he carries on and says, oh, but wait, that doesn't actually include labor cost of tunnel construction. There are some things that will cost real money here, like the concrete lining, but the breakdown of the rest is non-existent. So that's the interesting thing. This is 12 pages where they just say, this is what it's going to cost with it in massive lump sums of money without breaking it down into any further detail. Probably because it's nice to just say this is going to cost a nebulous, ridiculous sum of money that you can't even conceptualize with no breakdowns because people would probably get annoyed if you said, well, most of it's probably going to go into some HR company's back pocket. Yeah. Uh, this ends up costing £25,000 per meter, which is £175 million for seven kilometers. In the end, the cost of a seven-kilometer tunnel is half a billion for all of this taken into account. The two biggest items being the nebulous time-related costs and tunnel construction costs. How can tunnel construction be a line item on a tunnel construction costs breakdown? Good question. That's an excellent question. It, 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 it is quite spectacular. He just says that uh, the way that we're going about this, why we've been able to say that this is what it will cost, is that they've taken similar projects that have gone on across the EU and said, well, actually, if you look at the most expensive and least expensive ones, we're somewhere in the middle here on this graph. Why aren't we trying to emulate the least expensive ones? Why aren't we trying to see why they were so efficient with their money and able to be cost effective? Why are we just going, well, as long as we're not literally bankrupting the country, I mean, they might be, but as long as we're not doing it in comparison to these other countries, then it'll be absolutely fine. It's, it's, it's so stupid. What, what, what sort of miss me is, is when people that, uh, that are environmentalists actually turn around and say, yeah, actually, I agree with the construction of HS2. And I just... We should I'd, dig massive tunnels yeah, under the country. And just rip out trees for miles and miles on end. And... I think I saw a video not so long so so long ago of um, Leilani Dowding, who was uh, who was part who was next to like a construction site of HS2, and it showed the damage that it's it's done already, and it's obviously it's not even been built properly yet. So you've you've got areas which have literally been dug up and mm. just left. Yep, and it's just. It's almost it's criminal. Like, it's like the towns that it goes through. The yeah. towns will absolutely destroy themselves so they can regenerate themselves to be right for London businessmen to live in while they commute on their way on their HS2 back to London every single day. And then it doesn't get done. It doesn't get done and the town is just a complete shell of itself. It's yeah. awful to see. Uh, but where's, where's the actual money going? Because we know that all of those big <laughs> nebulous sums of money are big nebulous sums of money. You don't know where they're going. They don't want you to know where they're going. So where are they actually going? Well, see how they're spending oh. their time writing this up. So as I said, the report on tunneling costs was 12 pages. Kev points out here that the annual report on diversity was instead 52 pages. So that's showing where the priorities are going here. And let's go into this. And this, this is like, everything I read before is like, well, you could probably try and hand wave it away by going, well, you don't know how much all of this is going to cost, so they might just be being vague because they want to account for the fact that you know there could they could save money, they could spend more money. They don't want to be one hundred percent on it right now, which is still a bit of an excuse. But this is where this is where I just gave up, if I'm honest. So he says they prepared this handy report on how they're being racist to white people and sexist to men, not to mention some of the money that they're wasting. And here are some of the highlights that Kev has drawn from it. So starting off, 
they have a measure of how many white people they have, but the fewer the better. Their current target is to have less than 77% white people. Why? That's a completely arbitrary target, unless you want to say, I think the population of white British in the UK now is about 74%. Something like that. So what, they've just taken that and added 3% on it for some reason as their target to hit? I don't know why. Just because of the fact that that's the percentage of white British people in the UK at the moment doesn't mean that that's going to be the percentage of competent people qualified to do this work so far. But, you know, let's be completely arbitrary and put this incredibly expensive infrastructure project into the hands of people who've only been hired for diversity points. That sounds like a great idea. Then let's let them dig tunnels under the ground. What could go wrong? Which they fell short of last year, but they achieved this year with 76%. Yes. Yes. That's right. Replace those white workers. Genius. <laughs> okay. All right. It's really funny to me, he says here, that they print evidence that whites make better candidates by accident. Despite all the interviewers being trained in inclusive recruitment techniques and how to address unconscious bias, these pesky native Brits keep getting through. And we can see here on this, it's the EDI trends in our recruitment. So the applications are getting loads from ethnic minority backgrounds. They shortlist more of them hire less of them overall. Uh, but they have a solution for this. They have a solution, which is they're going to remove all ethnic and name data from the CVs right. in the hope that more ethnic minorities will get through. You would imagine that seeing as more of them are getting interviews and shortlisted in the first place, that would be the gateway to make sure that uh, like unconscious bias mm -hmm. wouldn't be a factor. But no, apparently you're going to have to remove all of that through. And uh, then Kev is potentially suggesting that that might mean that more white candidates get through, at which point they will immediately scrap it. Right. And uh, we've, we've got here, uh, if I carry on, uh, talk about, where is it? They've got reverse mentoring here. So he calls this woke communism, which is a great little term for it. So this is, uh, if we read here, each year we run a structured reverse mentoring program where we pair all our SLT members with a reverse mentor. The volunteer reverse mentors and SLT members are matched by the legacy team. So SLT, from what I looked up, means speech and language therapy. Okay. Basically means speech coaches on these sites because presumably they're hiring so many minorities that they don't know how to speak English that well, which means they can have difficulty communicating. So what instead they're doing is they're taking the people who are supposed to coach these people in how to get them to communicate better with the higher ups. They're getting those people to teach the SLT people how to speak broken English so that the higher-ups can be taught better on how to speak speak them real good, yeah. Right. Very that's, strange. That's... This seems like a sensible use of my tax money. Yeah. Yes. That's terrible. Uh, they have diversity awards from a company called The Clear Company who, don't worry, they have a podcast on diversity. So very glad to hear that. <laughs> he says they appear to be a two-bit oper operation, but... I mean, all of these companies are. You do just pay them to be lectured about why you're too racist and here's how you can give me more money. And the more money you give me, the less racist you are. But you'll never not be absolutely not racist, so you can never stop giving me money about it. Uh, the helpfully print this chart to show how out of whack they are with the rest of the in industry. Women are common in management roles, so they'll likely increase their percentage of women by having lots of unnecessary management. Once again, this, is, this can only be anecdotal the example that I'm going to give here, but I know lots of people who work on construction and laboring sites, and they say that it's basically on the ground, the blue collar workers are all men, mm -hmm. and it's all the women they're bringing in are just being put straight into management roles, where the right. only thing that they do is 
basically HR work where they tell people off for not being nice nice enough to one another, despite the fact the kind of banter you get on these sites is very blokish. That yes. is how you're nice to one another. Throwing slurs and insults and the most harsh name calling you've ever seen at one another is how blue collars are nice to one another. It's how, it's how most men work. It's to do with um, the threshold of getting to know one another. Yeah, look at this. So we've got women are the blue column, ethnic minority are the pink column, disabled are the the green column. So I feel like that would be a massive impediment if you're working on construction sites. So they must be in management positions as well. So you can see that they're... So is that right in saying there are more disabled? Ahead. HS2 is massively ahead of all of these because it is basically a government Ponzi scheme to give money to their preferred minorities. Am I right? Am I reading this right? So there are more disabled people working as engineers for this diversity sector than there are for non-whites. Am I uh, reading it, that it, correct? It appears, it appears so. But then again, I, I don't know which one receives priority if you're putting it down on a graph. So they might really? also be disabled ethnic minorities. Right. I don't, I don't, oh, know, yeah, if counted, I don't yeah. know if they're counted in both or counted separately. I wouldn't be able to say for certain. I would imagine that me, these people are probably also in management. Either that or if you're in engineering, perhaps in the design stages of oh, it, where you don't you. have to do any manual work on it. You maybe okay. just have to do uh, you know, dra- draft up blueprints of things. I've right. not worked in these industries myself, so I'm sorry if my knowledge is somewhat lacking. <laughs> they also count how many gay people there are. Very Why? strange. Why? Just, well, you, you know. <laughs> Why? What's you the know. point of this? I don't, I don't, you don't understand. know the point of it. You no. You don't know the point of it. <laughs> sorry, I'm such a bigot. I just... Yeah. I don't uh, get the point of it all. They, they've got case studies on people. Nikki French, this person... You've got uh, the contractors are apparently forced to be racist too. They have set contractual performance measures that cover policies and procedures, recruitment, workforce monitoring and reporting, supplier diversity training, and a requirement to obtain externally verified EDI standards. And, and look at this. They have all of the figures for it. 38% of the HS2 limited workforce is female. No wonder it's so expensive. 40% of the leadership is female and 31% of the senior leader te- leadership team. Oh, sorry, I misread it earlier. So not the, the SLT wasn't speech and language therapy. It was the senior leadership team. Uh, Once again, basically the same thing, though. They're getting reverse mentoring from the people that they've hired who don't know how to communicate properly on the sites to tell them how they can better manage them. Seems a very, very backwards way of doing it. But they're female as well. 20% of our tier one supply chain workforce has ethnic minority background, which is above the industry average. I hope as you've been watching this, you've been asking in your head the same question over and over again, because I've been asking this question, which is, how does this build, how does this construct train tracks? Yeah. How does this dig tunnels? It's kind of... How does this yeah. help? Imagine that stone toss meme of how will this help us sell burgers? Yeah, that's it. It's that, literally over that. Over and over again. How will this build a railway? This is a good question. This is an excellent question. Maybe it's question. one big gloat to all other industries. Maybe it's not meant to build a railway for its first priority. Maybe it's meant to just give money to people like Mohammed Azim, who is another case study saying, I've experienced firsthand on many site-based construction offices, spaces made available for daily prayers, ablution facilities, and halal food options. How does this help build How does trains? this help, yeah. How does this help the trains run on time? (laughs) Yeah. But they also have wonderful, diverse events like Stephen Lawrence Day. 
and no International problem. Drag Day. And International Drag Day. Yes. They, of course, celebrate the day against International Day against homophobia, biphobia, and transphobia. Oh, this is just getting... Bi just... Visibility Week. Oh, brilliant. All right, Trans Awareness What's Week. What's Ace Awareness Week? I, is Ace tell a person? Tell us in the comments. The maybe. Maybe he's just a really <laughs> nice one guy. bloke at the office. He's a really nice guy. You have to go in and give him a high five. Good job, Ace. Ah, <laughs> oh, cheers, lad. He's the straight white male, so you have to make yeah. him aware. <laughs> Kev again pointing out that they've missed the coronation and Christmas, but, you know, why would you expect it to be caring about those sorts of things when they've got Mohammed's feelings to worry about here. No Easter, I see. No, no. No? Uh, we've got Diwali, though. So oh, we've got... All right. Oh, right. And Ramadan. Ah, got you. They've uh, got 30 domestic abuse champions, so I don't know why you'd want to <laughs> celebrate that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And here's the biggest waste of money. This was the most spectacular. I said before we started this that even if you gave me your wildest guess, you wouldn't be able to imagine... You wouldn't be able to guess this. And, like... Look Look at this, people. Right. So, in fact, I'm going to scroll up so you don't spoil it. I'm going to ask you this question. Okay. Right. You are working for a prestigious government contract. Okay. You've been told that you are in charge of signage that's going to be posted all over this and to make sure that it is accessible for disabled people and sure. easy to read for them. How do you do this? That is a great question. Well, uh, if I was to make sure that disabled people are able to read and communicate what they're being given. You would do it in a variety of ways, depending on the disability. You've got Braille comes to mind. Um, Even simpler than that, okay. right? If you, wanted to, if you wanted to come up with a practical example to show them, how would you do that? Just to test it. You, so you get two disabled guys in, and you need to test to see if the thing that you've come up with works. How would you do that? Show them. With what? With what? Like a practical example. Maybe you've got a, a 50 quid sign that you've mocked up yourself in that style and you just hand it to them yeah. and show that it to, to them from various distances and say, is this okay? Yeah. Can you read this? Yeah. That's how a sane, normal person yes. who doesn't want to spend billions of taxpayers' money. There's me thinking Braille. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, billions <laughs> of pounds of taxpayer money on nothing in particular. Obviously, you're not anywhere near as ingenious or intuitive as the HS2 wardens are. No. Just read this, okay? They created a full virtual oh. world of the stations to see if the signs are easy to read for disabled people. So you can see these two disabled people here with VR headsets walking around the virtual world, which presumably would have meant that they contracted out to a media company to design all of this. <sighs> You can just build the signs. You can yeah. just build the sign, build yeah. the prototype sign and go, does this work? Does this work? Does this work? Does this work? Does this Done. No, millions of pounds had to go into this. Billions of pounds. And of course, if you look further into the document, you get the obligatory giving money to some random charity that you never asked them to give money to in the first place. So compared to all, all the ways, giving £68,000 to a charity for English hostile pensioners is peanuts because it turns out they're giving almost sixty eight grand to the Bengali Workers Association. Why? What, what, how does this help? What does train what get this got built? To, this is all taxpayer, isn't it? Yeah, of course it's so all this, taxpayer. So we're inadvertently sending, sending money to a charity that we never agreed to. Mm-hmm. That's like, me, that's like me taking your wallet and just taking it away with me and just donating it to the Holiday Inn next door. 
Some would call that theft. I, I would call that theft. Yeah, some yeah. would call that theft. Taxation. The, the government says that it's absolutely <laughs> legal because they say it's legal. And if you don't right. think it's legal, sorry, that's illegal. And right. on that basis, I look, I, just to cap all of this off, we found what is actually the true political theory. You've heard of John Lockean liberalism, Robert Filmer's absolute king to, uh, kingship, all of that out the window. The one true political theory is you pay tax to the government, the government gives you money to a company to build a railway, that company gives money to a group of Bengali pensioners. Right. I think that was in Leviathan by Hobbes, so I'm glad we finally cleared that up. So, yeah, I don't know what else I can add to this. I mean, <laughs> they're, they're spending your money on building VR train stations so that disabled people can see if they work when they could just build signs and show them. And show them. So, yeah, it's a waste of money. It won't ever get built, and it's just there so they can spread money to their patrons. There you have it. Yeah. Well, let's carry on. Shall we? A nice, optimistic... Yeah, very optimistic. ...segment to start off with. Well, let's talk about the situation over in Lampedusa. Now, this little Italian island that's wedged between Malta and Tunisia is experiencing some troubles to say the least. Um, I'm, yeah. I think you guys have covered it briefly uh, the other day with Callum. Um, so if you see clips that you've already seen, I'm very sorry. Um, but I wanted to expand on it because actually it's gotten very, very serious to the point of, yeah, uh, something needs to be already done. already very serious. Yes. The most that I've looked into it is that I know that around, over the course of 24 hours, 10,000 people arrived on boats immediately started asking for things, begging for money, harassing the natives of the island and asking to be sent for deeper into Europe. Uh, and then the police were sent out and I saw some videos of people with riot shields trying to push them back. And that was all last week, I think I saw that. Well, it's gotten a bit worse um, oh, since then. But we're going we're gonna to turn back the clock and we're going to start with what happened. So, so like you said, on the first day, we had about 120 small boats arrive on this tiny little island um, carrying around 7,000 people initially to start with. Uh, some were reporting like 8,000, some were reporting 6,000, so we'll go with 7,000 as the, as the sort of happy medium. Um, now, I had no idea that this was happening all of last week until very recently, until people started to show on Twitter what was actually going on. Um, but to start with, I thought that we would just, I would just quickly say, there's going to be a lot of clips to show mm. yourself and to show the viewers because the media aren't going to show the reality of the no. situation. And I'll show you the contrast between the two. It's, wor it's worth pointing out as well that the online safety bill that just passed, I know I already covered it yesterday, but it includes a provision in there where snuck among a lot of other provisions that most people would be in support of, making it so you can't pr um, promote or share self-harm, mm -hmm. suicide, child sexual exploitation material on social media websites. They also put in there footage of illegal immigration. So that's right. very interesting because it's very clear that the governments don't want you to be able to share this kind of footage because yeah. it is um, a bit damaging. A little bit, to say the least. But um, according to AP, Thousands of migrants and refugees landed on the Italian island of Lampedusa this week. So it was last week on the 15th um, after crossing the Mediterranean Sea on small unseaworthy boats from Tunisia. 
overwhelming local authorities and aid organizations. Scenes of chaos at an overcrowded reception center in Lampedusa have provoked both solidarity and anger, with fingers pointing blame at not just people smugglers, but also Italian Premier Giorgia Maloney, European officials, and their Tunisian partner. Now, it's important to remember that Giorgia Maloney ran on, ran on the ticket to stop this from happening. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, especially in Italy, have she even felt... suggested that she would be lining up the Navy across the Mediterranean yes. Sea to prevent this sort of thing. Then, outside of even the illegal migration, she decided, you know what, let's give her almost half a million visas to new arrivals from outside the EU soon. That's great. Thank so a lot of people felt a bit betrayed by what she was saying. Um, if I go to the next part, this, is, this was the scale of what happened. Um, so this was... Invasion. Yeah. This is literally under any other time period other than our current global regime administered by the Americans, the American government, I should say, of universal human rights, this would be an invasion. But under this, this is just, this is just natural global migration. Yeah. Hey, thank you. Uh, so this was the arrival. And then after this, police tried to contain the situation. And this, I believe, is the video that you mentioned where um, the Italian police is really trying to uh, contain migrants, um, which this has just been a continuous thing since, uh, since the actual arrival. So to say the least, on, this is day one, by the way. <laughs> this is completely day one. And we're now a week and a half um, into this uh, invasion. And I think invasion is the correct term, complete correct term. Yes, it is. Um, Well, the Red Cross was there to try and help, but yet a fight broke out, um, which, yeah. NGOs and other organizations would like you to believe that these people, every single one of them, will be nothing but an economic benefit to your country, will help to promote social cohesion, will be somebody who can integrate into your neighborhood peacefully. Do you believe that? If you do believe that, if you absolutely, 100% with all of your heart, think that this will go well, you know, go back to sleep, switch off. Well, saying that, um, here's, the real, here's the situation um, on the first week, this was actually at the night of day one, um, where these are the migrants standing out. This is a panoramic shot of the situation. Uh, we don't really need to play the sound, which is absolutely fine. Um, but it's serious. Uh, do you see any women or children in the crowd? Why would I? Why, why would they, when they are economic thieves coming over here steal money, receive benefits from the government. The funny thing is that most previous invasions in the past would have been people coming over here so that they could conquer and rule and extract resources. These people are looking to extract resources, but they're not looking to rule. The people who are conquered are the native populations by their own government, and these people are just being imported in. These people are not conquerors. They're coming over here to say, please give me money. Um, a fight then uh, broke out within the, uh, well, I believe the shelter where um, I believe that's bottles of water and everything was thrown around. Um, yeah, so that, that was 
I believe, day one or day two. And Things that wouldn't be out of place in your average 1970s waitress, obviously. <laughs> and then the next day, a thousand more boats turned up, unfortunately. Uh, well, I say a thousand people. 30 more boats. With 30 more boats. Apologies. And sourcing these? Who's doing this? Well, here's the thing. I think because it's so lax on the island that many um, of the, I think dependence is too much of a polite term, but um, many, I think, just realized, actually, we can get away with doing this. So more had turned up. And as you can see, I, I don't think that And these refugees. people, they, they, they certainly don't look as though they've been living in incredibly harsh conditions no. for their entire life. I don't see, we, we, we joke and say that we can't see a single woman or child among them. I can't see a single one of them that could even be described as hungry. Every single one of them looks very well fed. They're all quite well built. They're all in decent shape. Fighting age men, as people like to say. Uh, yeah. You know, if I'm expecting to accept thousands of refugees, I want physical evidence of, of just them looking like they need our help. These people do not need our help for anything other than just free money, free benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, well, funny you say that. These women, allegedly, are not from the island. They're actually tourists. And, well, they're, they're dancing with the migrants um, at a, I believe, a festival to signify that, um, yeah, refugees welcome, basically, uh, that we're not in any danger at all and that it's completely okay. Um, I hate everyone. Everyone <laughs> in this video. Every single person in this video. Anybody who wasn't one of the police officers picking up a shield or a weapon and fighting back. I hate you. So... <laughs> So to um to add, I, I think it's wrong that um I, I think it's completely wrong because because this what I'm I'm actually re- getting really annoyed because <laughs> I no, know I am infuriating yeah, just to look at yeah, isn't it because this is this actually fuels the problem this is actually it's encouragement right so it does annoy me when I see things like this because. They're tourists. Allegedly, they're tourists. So they're not from the island. They're not residents. Allegedly. So it wouldn't be beyond internationalist NGOs to send people uh in as as tourists Uh to fan the flames of this and basically offering a welcome party to these people. They've been known to do things like that before. Yeah, absolutely. And... um, yeah, you could be called a conspiracy theorist for all that nonsense as well. <laughs> um, well, funny that, because they are actually laughing at uh, the country that has actually offered them refuge. Um, Boza, I believe, I, I tried to look up what, what Boza is, and I believe it's, a, uh, I believe it's a, a type of person in North Africa. So I thought it was a drink at first, an, an Arabic drink, and I thought, why are they saying drink-free Tunisia? But no, it's it's a it's a type of person in, in North Africa, and yeah, no country outside of Africa needs any of these men. These men will not help you. They will not be of any benefit to you. They will not enhance social cohesion. They will not enhance your cultural enrichment. They will hurt you. 
Yeah, and the residents. <laughs> Sorry, this is so based. Um, <laughs> um, saying it how it is. Um, Italian residents aren't happy, uh, naturally. Where obviously we're not going to play because I, I don't know Italian, but according to this account, Radio Genoa, the translation says, "Stop the invasion!" You journalists say they are refugees. False. They are not refugees. Um, and many. Many people are upset, and I did read earlier. I should have included this in the article. Uh, sorry, in the in the presentation. But there were residents that had never protested for or against illegal immigration or immigration of such sense ever. But they felt because of this situation, their family depends on it, their livelihoods depend on it. Because remember, this tiny island of Lamp- Lampedusa is has a population of 6,000. 6,000, the population. And we'll find the the proper figures, but I believe we're up to now 15,000 migrants. So they're almost outnumbered three to one. Yes. That's that's absolutely disgusting that any government would allow this to happen to their own population. The sorts of people who are going out and saying something about it no, good on you because there's very little that you can do about it, sadly, because I know that if you did try and put up some kind of physical resistance, not only are you outnumbered, but in all likelihood, your own government would come against you mm. before they would do anything to protect you from these invaders. Mm. Well, the deputy mayor of Lampedusa um, said, according to this account, refugees are not welcome. Uh, Lampedusa must be free. We want to live from tourism and fishing nothing more. Um, and that's, of course, you can tell by um, well, the way he's speaking that he's not very happy. Uh, and obviously, I don't know Italian. so um, and He's moving his hands a lot, so I can tell he's speaking Italian. Yeah, you could tell. Yeah, I'm waiting for the, <laughs> <laughs> the classic. Um, this is what I wanted to show you as well. Uh, apparently, according to this account, that this man was um, migrated to Lampedusa and after has since come to Rome and that is a water fountain I believe and he's just oh yep yeah um thank you yeah oh okay go on yeah there we go figa questo se l'hai mai in città volta biot no vada mai figa have to look at it because I am there you have it one of my least favorite things about um, having the mental capacity for pattern awareness and foresight is that I, I know that if the regime that we live under now continues into the future that 20 to 30 years from now in the same way that we in England told the Windrush uh, HMS Windrush all the people that arrived there were invited by the government when they weren't um, it's that these people will be proselytized as having been invited by the countries and you'll be able to point to examples like Maloney saying here's almost 500,000 visas for new arrivals from outside of the EU. Sure. But they will also say that these people were included right. in those people coming over. 
There was no Lampedusa. There was no invasion of the boats. These people arrived completely legally and were open, welcomed with open arms by the locals. The deputy mayor was denounced immediately and furiously by his population as a subversive who wanted to work against the enrichment that all of these people so clearly welcomed into their lives. That will be the narrative. And my thing to um, the refugees welcome lot would be, is this what you want? Is this um, the idea of you welcoming people and redistributing people just across Europe um, like this as an example? Is, is that, do you, <laughs> let's say that this is just a case of someone that's completely desperate just to have a shower or just to wash their clothes. This is the refugee welcome lots bidding. This is, this is in, inadvertently their fault in a way because they're the ones encouraging this they are with the NGOs. They are mindless enough and they lack, the, they lack any sort of internal monologue to allow them to examine their own thoughts. So instead they have this big cavity mm. in the center of their school where a normal person would have a brain and instead it's filled with government and NGO propaganda mm. being blasted into there constantly. Mm. That's all that they have in there and also a little mouse running after a piece of cheese that it can never quite get to. That's the only thing keeping their nervous system going. Well, they were firing rockets. I don't know where they got fireworks or rockets from, um, but here is a video of migrants on a boat trying to flee, uh, I believe, to mainland uh, Europe uh, or Italy. And I don't know where they got it from, but they had fireworks and rockets firing at the back, as you saw at the start of the video, where police chased them. Um, and according to this account, uh, they weren't arrested and um, they were free to go. According to this account, needs okay. to be fact-checked. But, um, well, I mean, they're just you know shining the flashlights on them. You got a license for that rocket launcher? Yes, yeah. we do, actually. Oh, great, carry on. <laughs> um, I... My question is, where did they get fireworks from? How do they even get access to fireworks or some sort of nautical rocket? Well, obviously, in the most impoverished parts of Africa, what they're not missing, what they're not lacking is fireworks. That's the only resource right. that they're rich in, naturally. Gotcha. <laughs> um, well, let's check in on Info Migrants, a very pro-migrant um, uh, website to talk about the lamp producer uh, scenario. Uh, I double checked the about section. I don't know if it's possible to bring up the about section. I think if I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, I can do that. Move about oh, there. Here we go. On the about section, this is what I want to show you first before we dive into this. Um, I saw the first sentence in their first little description there. Migration is not new. Uh, yeah. Migration is not new. Yeah. This has always been normal. What? Various tribes from Northwest Europe all invaded one another and ended up intermixing and creating England. Third world migration. That's, that's the argument. That's always the argument. <laughs> the part I wanted to read out was a partnership between three major news sources. So this is who they are partnered with. Uh, Info Migrants is a collaboration led by three major European media sources. France, I'm not going to even try and say that in French, Monday, which is France 24, Radio France Internationale, uh, Monte Carlo, um, can't even say that word, apologies, 
the German public broadcaster Deutsche Welle, uh, and the Italian press, agent, press agency ANSA. Info Migrants is co-financed by the European Union. Yeah, always the way. Um, the uh, European Union also has um, uh, different agendas where they've been funding literally an uh, I think I think it's a project called the Becoming a Minority Project. Right. Okay. Which yeah. is dedicated to trying to uh, prepare the native populations of Europe to become a minority in their own their own country. So if the migration has already always been here, already happened, why is it that you need to prepare the native populations for this eventuality, which hasn't actually happened in the past? Yeah. These are questions that they will not answer. Well, according to this pro-migrants um, uh, article, um, as the number of migrants exceeded the population of Italy's small island of Lampedusa at the end of last week, Headlines concentrated on tensions and chaos. But many of the island's residents are trying their best to help by offering water, clothes, and even ice cream to the new arrivals. We know what to do, repeat many of the residents of Lampedusa who speak to info migrants. A uh, bit dubious of that personally. Um, Notice how all of the things that we've been saying have been backed up with video footage, and this has. Uh, one man with a, an ice cream. One, <laughs> one stock image of man with ice cream. Um, uh, uh, it says the island's small population of just over 6,000 uh, has been watching the numbers of migrants arriving on their island go up and down for many years. Uh, and in some ways, they are used to it. <laughs> so that makes it okay. Yeah, they're just passive now. They're passive <laughs> like rabbits. They just go into a shock and let anything happen to them. Uh, and used to coming together to help out where they can. Um, that doesn't mean, though, that some of them do not feel abandoned by successive Italian governments in faraway Rome. We've got to pay some lip service to, yes, to, to. The, the actual facts that people have yes. seen video evidence of. Exactly, exactly. So in their eyes, it's just, well, we've seen it happen for, for years. And, you know, people come and go. So nothing to worry about. We have ice cream. Everything is good. Um, see if I can go next. So I think this was a reminder of how many migrants have come in through Italy. Since January the 1st, around 118,500 sea migrants have landed on Italian shores a near record figure that jars with Maloney's election campaign pledges. A reminder, once again, Maloney was on the ticket, like I said earlier, to stop this from happening. And the media turned around and said that she was this far-right figure and that the party was the most far-right party they, they, since World War II. They did everything near to calling her a fascist without yes. outright calling her a fascist. I think she's part of the Brothers of Italy party, mm -hmm. which they said, oh, we can trace all the way back to fascism in Italy and Mussolini's party. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Uh, despite the fact that most current parties in Italy can also, unsurprisingly, yeah, be traced back that. to the, fa the fascist years of Italy. Uh, they were trying to make her out like she was going to be some monster. She was going to start opening fire into the Mediterranean Sea, if only. Uh, that's a joke. Um but she's done nothing. She's done nothing. She's made some noises about the gender ideology, and that's the thing that you will see left-wing rags still going on about. 
Maloney says such and such about trans ideology. Mm. Oh, can you believe this? While they <laughs> silently clap her on as she's letting in record numbers of illegal migrants. Well, Ursula von der Leyen, the witch of the EU, uh, has rushed to give her a solution to this festering problem in Lampedusa. Um, but now we're at 15,550. Yeah. Um, the situation is still very, very bad. And personally, I think it's just going to escalate more and more. I don't think anything will be done for a long time. And I feel bad because the only, the only solution that they are providing is just redistribution into Europe. Mm-hmm. There doesn't seem to be... You can't just send them back and say, no. no, actually, you don't deserve to be here. You're clearly not a refugee. You don't have any circumstances that would make it at all legitimate for you to come here in the first place. Go home. They say, well, we'll try our best to get you somewhere soon. Exactly. And Maloney proposed a, na- a European naval mission not to rescue migrants, but to fight the smuggling and stop departures. Uh, she also called for more effective EU instruments for repatriations as well as greater UN involvement. Um, but I've not seen any of that. I've not seen any of that. But this is the ongoing problem. Uh, stay tuned, I guess, for more in um, Migration Europe. Yeah, okay. And after that cheery one. Sorry about that. <laughs> Oh, I didn't exactly have oh, on that one. one. There you oh, go. No, don't get that up on the screen again, John. <laughs> please. Get the get, get my segment up on, please. <laughs> get it up on the screen. Okay. Here we go. This last segment will be slightly breezier because it's just one it what well, uh it's just a few links that I've got on here. Because I thought this would be interesting. So we've seen how they get in to Europe, these migrants. Okay. Now let's find out what they do when they get here because okay. Most of them become delivery drivers for right. fast food restaurant chains, uh, mostly be, uh, being facilitated through the apps Deliveroo and Just Eat, which if you do still have them on your phone, you should delete right now. Because if you don't, you are actively facilitating these people's livelihoods while they are here because they shouldn't be here in the first place. Most of them are completely undocumented. And by doing that, you're just allowing these restaurants and delivery themselves to continue giving them money as we will find out. Before I do, this has been a somewhat dour episode. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Uh, I, I've, you know, put the knife down. We do occasionally put some happy stuff on, some fun material on the website. And that the, mo- the best example of that recently is Lads Hour, which is our latest series where we get five people around the table to discuss some random rubbish that Ooh. we've thought of. So the first one was me. Um, getting into arguments with old school Gamergate and anti-SJW types for back in the day and revealing them as being complete hypocrites. Last week's was about Mexican aliens. And uh, last night's was just talking about which animal could you beat in a fight. You'll have to stick around for one of these events. I would love they're to. They're on Thursdays now, so they're really Thursdays. fun. They're an actually nice time that we oh, get that's cool. to sit around and discuss something that isn't heartbreakingly depressing. So, uh, yeah, and, and you get, get a drink. drink. Yeah, oh, wow. and, and we get to drink on it as well. Oh. So um, that's sign me up. Yeah, that's I'll be only there. for premium members on the website. And as I mentioned at the beginning of this po- uh, podcast, we do still have the Sargon promo code running at the moment. So that's fifty percent off your first three months of your subscription. As Pete told me to mention to everybody, you have to do that through Stripe. You can't do it through the other payment processes. It has to be through Stripe because otherwise it won't work. 
There's our glorious boss. This is the Ubermensch Sargon with an <laughs> E at the end. And that is the promo code that you need to put in when you process your order for the membership through Stripe. Um, and once again, Lad Sour, if you want some fun, if you want to see what happens when we're not on the edge of the abyss, <laughs> you should tune in for Lad Sour because it is really good fun and is very popular already. So, so this is the article that I saw, and I thought I'd just go through it because it is really interesting because it shows a few things. One, it shows the extent at which all of these delivery driver jobs have been completely overwhelmed by the amount of cheap labor that they're getting in from migration, which doesn't just mean that the native workers are being pushed out of these potential sure. jobs because they're unskilled labor, but they are something that if you're st- trying to get your first job would be a good suggestion for a lot of people. Yeah. All you need is a bicycle, a helmet, and legs. Yeah, um, so it's the to... perfect job for university students, yep. like up and coming, like graduates, people like that. And well, they're all taken now. Yeah, almost every single one of them, unless you live in somewhere that doesn't have a massive migrant population. If you live in a city, sorry, you're not going to be able to get a job like that. But it's not just affecting the natives; it's also affecting the the migrants who've come over here because now there's so much competition between oh, themselves wow. that they can't earn a good wage doing it already. And it also, interestingly enough, highlights the fact that once again, we always go on about this. London is not an English city anymore. Because listen to the scenarios that this woman, this journalist, excuse me, Nicola Kelly, highlights here. And you'll see that there's not a, there's not a single English person involved in this. And this is supposedly right. the, 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 the capital city of England. So I go through it. So she points out a quarter of UK adults use firms such as Deliveroo, but few think about the cyclists who bring their takeaways. We joined one rider for a day. No, most of the time, if you're ordering food, you're mainly just thinking about the food. Chances are you're hungry. So you're not thinking, oh God, I really hope Ahmed has a good cycle on the way here. You know, th- you know you're thinking, God, I hope he gets here quicker. What's taking him so long? But let's read through some of this. Uh, there's there's a lot of fluff in here, as you can imagine. It's that typical Guardian style where it's like, let me tell you about the breakfast that oh. I had on the day. Let me tell you about I was walking down. Already the street. the breakfast. I was walking down <laughs> the streets and I was thinking about my life. No, I don't care. So let's get into the juicy details. Eh? So delivery drivers account for one of the fastest growing forms of employment during the pandemic. Deliveroo says that it doubled its UK couriers from twenty five thousand in twenty twenty to more than fifty thousand in twenty twenty one. Big. For the next 12 hours, I will be shadowing Shafi, who is a 28-year-old rider from London. Yeah, we can say we can say now, yeah, from London, not from England, because London is its own yeah, economic it's its own zone. country. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it would be uh, shadowing him to see what it's like for him during a typical day's work. And this is over the course of about 12 hours. So filtering, tucking, weaving our way through traffic, we arrive at Nobu, one of London's top-end Japanese restaurants to pick up the order. Stapled to the bag is a receipt for £84. People in London spending absurd amounts of money on food. Sashimi and crab rolls. Then again, it might just be a big order. Who knows? With the clock ticking, we cycle through Mayfair, nipping along back roads and side passages past a Ferrari dealership and the glitzy shop windows of Gucci and Louis Vuitton. Lots of foreign investment, foreign business in the city. After this long time in the job, Shafi no longer needs to use app navigation. He has memorized the road names, the shortcuts, the time it takes for traffic lights to change. The extravagant lunches for an intern at a large American asset management company on Berkeley Square. We line up alongside rows of riders as one by one, a trickle of 20-somethings appear, all in chinos and gillettes. We are told the desk meals are chargeable for the company, which is worth billions and will be written off against tax. Shafi 
gets £3.15. There is no tip. Why would you expect a tip? No. I have never tipped a delivery driver never. in my entire life. I've tipped a few waiters in my life oh, because yeah. there are some who are actually on your table long enough that you're able to have a know, conversation, have a conversation, get a sense of good service. Mm. Delivery driver is just there so that he can hand you the food. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Why would I? Because you don't even see the journey. You don't even see what they do. You don't know what, where they've been going, how long. You just, it's transactional. Yeah, that's so all it's, it is. it's all it is. It's like tipping someone behind a shop like cabinet, just like going up to yeah, them so and saying, like, I want to pay for this. There you go. There's 20 quid for you. <laughs> Why? I mean, that would have been nice when I was working retail. Yeah, yeah. Was, you, know, you know, it's like going to your local co-op, like you say, and just tipping the guy who's stacking the shelves. Oh, yeah. there you go, mate. Good job, lad. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Just dashing That's him a, a tenner. really weird thing to <laughs> Yeah, it's really weird. If I'm getting a delivery, I would be expecting that the company that I've used to order it is going to be paying them enough that it's worth it for them. Yeah. But once again, there's also mention throughout this of the fact that a load of the orders that he's getting uh, he can tell. He can tell what kind of orders you get, uh, what the kind of people are from the orders that you get. He's talking about, oh yeah, these sorts of people, like the Chinese normally order this, right. Saudis normally order this, Russians normally order this. And I was reading through this, there's no English people. What do English people yeah, yes, yeah. order? Probably a tikka masala, if we're perfectly honest. I do like a tikka masala. I've not eaten Indian for a while now, but no. I, 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 can, I, I enjoy it sometimes. Um, <laughs> But, but I, like once again, I was just thinking, in, in no step in this transaction that's going on mm. is an English person encountered. We're told that it's an American asset management company at Berkeley Square. Maybe it was an English person, mm. but that's just how London is now. I have to assume maybe that London, London's large international finance and asset firms might have somewhere down the line hired an English person to work for them. Mm. Maybe. Because now my country is being used and my capital city is being used as an economic zone where international billionaires can maximize and make record profits. That's all it is. It's not a place to live. It's not a place to have a family. It's not a place no. to share a culture. It's a place to make money. Yes, that's true. all it is. And that's just completely inhuman to me. And that's not it's to true. sound like I'm doing some kind of commie, like, oh, we need to seize the means of, re <laughs> of production or anything. No, that's what I'm saying. All I'm saying is that money is not the be-all and end-all in life. It's useful if you want to facilitate a good quality of life. But all of these people are coming and taking jobs anyway. So it's not like there's much money to go around. Yeah. So for people to have a quality of life in the first place. At one palatial penthouse just off Savile Row, we drop off another order to a concierge. This one's for a young Saudi man. There you go again. Dinner at £192 from the high-end Chinese restaurant Hackerson. So I'm glad that in London, at least rich Saudis can afford fancy meals at their penthouses. Right. Uh, it's a stone's throwaway. So is it, he could have just gone out and picked it <laughs> Yeah, he's just going to, yeah. <laughs> Deliveroo will take 35 to £45 pounds off the order, while the restaurant gets £150 pounds of it. Shafi gets £2.90. No tip again. Again, why would you expect such a thing? <laughs> How dare not, you not tip me? <laughs> I know. It was not. It's just entitlement of it. Yeah, it is. It's, it's almost like imported Americanism. Mm. You know, you know you, we know about, obviously, Americanism over there with the tipping culture. They don't get culture. paid enough through the natural, They're trying to resonate natural rage, wages so that they have to rely on the yeah. tips to be able to survive. Even when I was working behind the bar, it wasn't amazing money, but I was working enough and getting enough money exactly. from it. I didn't need to rely on tips, although exactly. I did get them, which was always nice. But 
if you're behind a bar, you're expecting to build a rapport with the exactly. people talking yeah. to you. Especially if you're at a local bar, your mates might come in and they might mm. go, oh, you know what, here you go, just because you're doing a good job. Keep the change. Yeah, there you go. That's, <laughs> that's something nice. Yeah. But this is delivery. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> you don't just get a tip for going out and doing your job. You get paid for doing your job. Oh, yeah. It was not always like this. Here's where it gets interesting. Before 2019, Shafi was earning £1,000 a week with one platform offering a £7 hourly wage rate with an additional £1 for every drop. Being paid to cycle around the city, he grew up, seemed in, uh, he grew up in seemed like a, real, a, a dream job. He could make £15 an hour and sometimes up to four grand a month, triple what he'd earned in his previous job in customer services at Waitrose. And for, for living in London, that's probably not that much, but four grand a month just for, driving, for cycling around delivering food that's a lot more money than you'd yeah. expect. Yeah. The pandemic was heaven for riders, he says. Open roads, no safety concerns, orders galore. Then the system changed. The distribution algorithm could decide which rider was allocated to each order, introducing extra competition among couriers and driving down pay for each delivery. See, that's the interesting thing about people on the left. As soon as it starts to interfere with their, dem their preferred demographics and minorities, Supply and demand suddenly makes suddenly perfect makes sense perfect to sense. them. Yeah. I can't believe yeah. that we've finally found the lefty who understands supply and demand. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. But of course, if you say, well, what do you how do you think the, the British people feel about that? Well, oh, I can't be having couldn't that. Couldn't countenance that kind oh. of thought. Deliveroo claims not to pay less than £2.90 for a single delivery, but during our shift, the paper drop range from £1.80 for a quick journey to £5.70 for a six mile round trip from Westminster to Shepherd's Bush. Currently, a delivery driver, a rider, might earn £60 to £80 for 12 hours' work, in effect, half of the hourly minimum wage, meaning they now need to work between 80 and 110 hours a week. Meanwhile, the online food delivery industry, valued at £10.5 billion, is raking in profits, having grown by more than 35% every year since 2017. The number of users is now 12.7 million, almost one in four adults in the UK. So, this is all facilitated by massive companies hiring incredibly cheap wage slave labor yep. that have been just come off the boat over the past five years or so so that they can just deliver all of this vast amount of us. Once again, like I keep saying, don't use these apps. If you use these apps, you are facilitating the thing that you hate. I've stopped using them for all of this. If I do want a takeaway, sorry, I'm going to have to go and pick it up myself because mm. I don't want this. Or even better, just make your own food. It's so much better for you yeah. and it's way cheaper in the end, in the long run anyway. Because if you actually make your own food by your own ingredients, you can save a lot of money. It just means some prep time. And I yeah. know we're all lazy nowadays, <laughs> but we need to actually try and... Live not, in your pod, mate. Yeah, we need to try and maybe not spend money on the things that we yeah. don't like. Mm. So that's, that's something interesting to just say there. Deliveroo says it offers flexible working to more than 90,000 self-employed riders across the UK, allowing its couriers to work around their own schedule. Alongside flexibility, we want to offer them more security, according to a spokesperson. Delivery was among the first platforms to offer riders free insurance, yada, yada, yada. Every rider is guaranteed to earn at least a national living wage, though the majority earn more than this. Back at his base in Chinatown, we join a group of Indian couriers. Most are not as experienced as Shafi, only a year or two maybe in, and are not as selective about their orders. We take anything, they laugh. All of them juggle different platforms or multi-app renting accounts, typically for about £50 per week from holders who have the correct documentation to register for an account, typically a passport and the right to work paperwork. Riders are allowed to let other riders use their accounts 
provided they too have been checked and approved by Deliveroo. The company says that the end, uh, it ends the account of anyone who engages a substitute who doesn't have right to work status. But from what I've just read up here, it sounds like half of these Indian people that she's talking about are all juggling between different apps and typically right and, and don't have the right paperwork, meaning that they are illegals in this country and do not have right to work. Either that or they are waiting asylum claims, etc., etc. The writers I speak to are dun, 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 undocumented migrant workers willing to accept lower pay yep. and poor working conditions to get around restrictions on the right to work, yes. further depressing wages again yep. and again and again. Yeah. So once again, how do you think normal British people feel about companies using this kind of labor to undercut their wages? It's not good. It's not nice. But if you point it out, then you're a racist. <laughs> Having spotted this trend in April, the Home Office, but, but of course, if you're a Guardian journalist, you can just say it. Oh, you're allowed to. Yeah, you completely. You can just say it if yeah. you're a Guardian journalist. Because it's the intention is is not to... The intention is not to point out that fallacy. It's the intention is, oh, but we love them. We welcome everyone. Yes. So, yeah. In April, the Home Office announced a series of crackdowns with immigration enforcement officers hovering around hotspots such as the one in Chinatown and demanding insurance paperwork from riders. If they did not have it, the vehicles get impounded and the rider is detained. Some, some have been deported. And I'm sure the Guardian writer was hoping that reading that, my heart would break. No, not good enough. Deport all of them. A Brazilian rider shows me a video of his friend being handcuffed and hauled away in a police van. They're all plain codes, immigration police, he says. There's a waiting um, place up on Tottenham Court Road where we all used to go, but they're always there now, so we tell each other to avoid it. So they're all looking out for each other's backs. At a drop for some international students, none of them picks up, and then we just get more into like, the actual day-to-day -day stuff. So you know, when they eventually make their way down, this person that they're delivering to doesn't have a code. So instead, the delivery driver goes off and says, oh, sorry, you can't deliver it anymore. Despite the fact, obviously, this is my food. Give me my food. I don't have the code. Just give me a minute. No, nah, I can't do it, mate. And goes off and gives it to a homeless person instead. That's the other thing. We, we bring in these illegal migrants. <laughs> they undercut our wages. They change our culture. They change the makeup of our cities. And then they don't even actually do a good job. In my experience, <laughs> they don't even do that. And then here's the part where at the end we really need to feel bad for poor old Shafi because by the end of the day at midnight, ridden 19 miles in 12 hours with only a few breaks, Shafi has earned 44 pounds, 36 pounds from Deliveroo and about eight pounds from Uber Eats. He cashes out and he even takes 50, uh, 50p hit, form of surcharge for not waiting until the end of the week to cash out. He's earned no tips. As we part ways, I feel physically and mentally exhausted, happy to be away from the road rage and the incessant honking of horns. I could vow not to use the platforms again, but who would that serve? And you, she didn't put it in there, but I've got like in, in my head, there's a bracket saying the evil far right. That's mm. who it would serve. The one thing I know is this. Next time I do inevitably order a takeaway because I'm too gluttonous to be able to resist. I'll remember to tip the rider. Oh, it's, it's Go so away. Guardian. It's so good. Dip your head in oil. Good God. I mean, seriously, this whole thing is just some gigantic guilt trip to get you to go, I feel so bad for Shappy. And you know, you know, the absolute morons like James O'Brien 
will be reading <laughs> and going like, going, oh, oh no, oh poor Shaffy, oh, no. poor Shaffy, I feel so bad for poor poor Shaffy. Who even still reads the Guardian. I'm sorry. Didn't they make an article was... recently something to do with Genghis Khan is uh, should be praised because he helped the environment? What by murdering? But, lots yes, of people. that was yeah. a literal Guardian. Um, well, these people hate humanity. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They absolutely despise humanity, yeah. particularly those uh, are those who they are closest to. Generally, anyone yeah. that reminds them of their family, typically speaking, are those that they hate. And just to really end it on a nice note, uh, Connor put out an excellent tweet this morning talking about how 15,000 Afghan asylum applicants have been provided new homes by the government. They've signed, finally got them out of the they've got them out of the hotels, boys. They finally did it. Oh, but you know. They, they uh, spent £250 million pounds expansion of local authority housing funds to address. This is just tacking this on to the end of it just as a nice extra kick in the balls. <laughs> Turn this off. Uh, they're on track to deliver over 1,200 homes for Afghan families across England this year. They've got an extra £35 million pounds for local authorities as well. And, you know, this is going to be coming to your home, next door to your home. Will your neighborhood have been asked? Will you have been consulted? Will you have even been made aware of this in the first place. No, you will not, but your government loves you and knows that what you are in desperate need of is some enrichment. So good luck. You've got some new delivery drivers moving in next door to you soon. And uh, yeah, that's all I've got for that. And uh, I'm thoroughly depressed. Let's move on to the video comments. Sorry about that. <laughs> good afternoon. Here are some pics from my time in and around Plymouth. Several people wow. have noticed my American accent and asked if I'm here on business or holiday. When I tell them a holiday, sometimes I get confused looks back and they ask, why? Does this country have such a low opinion of itself as to not see the beauty and wonder of the place? Yes. I mean, look at these churches. We don't have anything like this where I'm from. Beautiful, no? Yeah, we... we... Also, oh. <laughs> what are y'all doing down here in Plymouth? <laughs> oh, that, that is funny. Um, yeah, we do have a very beautiful country and more people yeah. should take the time to appreciate that. And also, I was in Manchester over the weekend and it was funny that there were plastered on so many of the walls there are these posters from the Socialist Workers Party oh. and all, so, all, all of the places just saying, why is Leon Trotsky important today? Mm. Well, I could answer that question, but they won't like my answer. No, no. Let's carry on. Yeah. Power can be a bit of a problem with the mech. While plugged in, the arms and, theoretically, the legs too can run forever. However, with the wheel batteries, it can only drive for 10 minutes for every 40 minutes of charging. I have yet to do tests to actually see how long it lasts unplugged. Well, I guess there's no time like the prison. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, that looks so cool. What, so we've got the most talented subscribers, I swear. Might need some backstory in this. So this guy built that. He's built a number of mechs, and he's showed them. Wow! All. Ever since I started, he's been sending in videos showing off the mechs that he builds in his garage and wow. in various places, and they're always amazing. It's very impressive, incredible. That That's cool. Yeah, we've got awesome subscribers. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Hello, Lotus Eaters. I have returned from my long break. I thought I'd update you guys on a few future videos I'm planning to do. Um, one, um, most of them will be including uh, Australian politics because it is getting a bit interesting at the moment, especially with this referendum around the corner. But as well as that, 
I'm also going to do some videos um, of uh, certain locations in and around Sydney. So, hope you guys enjoy that. Cute cats. I'm I'm glad we've ended the video footage. Yeah. No, don't get don't oh, get yeah, back yeah. to that guy. <laughs> no, I'm glad we ended that on a cat because that looked like a very soft and friendly cat, and I wanted to give it a fuss. So thank you. <laughs> and remember Sargon. Again, I just keep pointing this out. <laughs> right. So let's move on to the written comments, shall, shall we? we? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So Derek Power says, "Now I know the animal that Harry is willing to fight." <laughs> If you want to call Rishi Sunak an animal, I'd call him more like some kind of shrub. Uh, on HS2, Ethelstan95 says, Britain used to be able to build fantastic railway networks around the world. That's right. We built all of the railway infrastructure that I'm aware of in India. For instance, mm -hmm. I think they're still trying to hire out our in, uh, railway net, uh, infrastructure building abilities to uh, Turkey. Oh, moment. I didn't know that. I think the government's sending a few more hundreds of millions of pounds over right. there, because of course, um, and I think they're building it with British contractors as well. So there are still there's still a lot of demand across the world for British railway infrastructure. Wow, I didn't, we're really I didn't good know at that. it, apart from on our own soil anymore. True. Our society seems to be filled with those who are incapable of maintaining the great works of our ancestors, let alone recreate or improve upon it. Yet still appears willing to criticize who the, who came before. As morally inferior, yeah. These these people who say that they are morally superior to those of the past, no, no, they're not. Mm -hmm. Ethelstan again says they treat the money wasted to build HS2 like the USSR treats uh, treated human lives to build their railways. They treat it as if there is an endless supply and the ideology trumps all. Yeah, I forgot to mention. I was imagining that what's probably going to happen. Um, have you read any of the Gulag Archipelago? I've got it. I've got the audio book. Very I depressing. I yeah, that's why I've really put it off. I, I've put it off. So there's a story that Solzhenitsyn goes through in that way. Talks about the attempts under Stalin to build these new national trains networks that would run from one half of the country to the other half of the country. And for some reason, instead of just you know devoting all of their resources to just building it from one end, sending it across to the other end, mm. they started building at both sides at the same time. Hoping oh, they would just meet in the just middle. Meet. But what actually happened was when they met in the middle, they were about a mile wide of one another. I'm imagining that HS2 is going to be like that. Yeah. They're pointing to different rail transport networks that have been done throughout the EU. If you're going to talk <laughs> Europe or Asia, in the case of most of Russia, that's probably the one we're most likely to emulate, True. if I'm honest. Let me see what time it is. Okay, cool. Geordie Swordsman says, the hiring is going to go the way of the New York Philharmonic Orchestra. They introduced blind auditions because too many white men were being hired. Oh, I wonder what happened then. <laughs> then the New York Times demanded they stop blind auditions because even more white men were being hired. Many such cases. Mm. Lord Nerevar. Ah, yes. HS2, the project that should theoretically be startlingly easy to implement, but for some reason we are spending decades and billions of pounds on and never actually seems to get anywhere. Seems legit. Once again, you're assuming that the main reason for the HS2 project is to build a railway system. The real reason is to give money to friends of the government. Sophie Liv. As a Dane who has been to England many times, for some reason my plane ticket to England is cheaper than my train ticket to travel across England. Yeah, yeah that is the case. That is the case. Our railway systems in the UK are completely busted yeah. at the moment. I, do, I couldn't tell you exactly why. Connor, I think, has looked into it a bit more than I have. But I do know that the old argument of, oh, they're all just privatized, we need to nationalize them, does not hold water. No. Connor told me earlier today that around the middle of COVID, apparently, they were all renationalized, essentially. Wow. 
Didn't which know that. makes it sound like, oh, wow, I guess it's the government's fault then, isn't it? Mm. What the hell? And then they want me to pay extra for Wi-Fi on the train. Yeah. I've not encountered that, actually. Absolute BS. Your yeah. public transport is broken. True. The French Tunisian boat merchant says, my main issue with these large infrastructure projects is that they require expropriating properties from the people living in their path. Oftentimes, yes, but I think that's why they're doing the tunnels so that they don't mm. have to do that. So instead of just taking them, they're going to cave the area in. Yeah. Uh, because, of course, we're making sure to have less than 77% white men for some reason, you know? So, um, you know, I trust that level of competency. Fodder 17, to get a grasp of how big 1 billion is, 1 million seconds is 12 days, 1 billion seconds is 31.7 years. That's a really excellent that's example. A, that's that a really great helps example. put it into perspective, isn't, doesn't it? Yeah, that's really good. Wow. And uh, we've got a, another great analogy here from uh, Omar Awad. HS2 is England's Ukraine. Nobody asked for it. <laughs> it wastes billions of taxpayer money to benefit politicians and their friends yeah. and ruins the local, local environment. I would have added, also we're being invaded, but at least Ukraine maintained the pretense of not wanting it to happen. Fair. Very spicy. Very. Ethelstan again says, out of the last four times I've tried to use the train, one was cancelled, one was late, one occasion was impacted by strikes that cancelled all trains, and one worked as advertised. Oh, well, one out of four ain't bad. No, that's no. not how it goes. No. A Britain with a reliable, fast, and comfortable net uh, rail network would be so much more convenient to live in and travel in than the country um, working outside of the big cities. Absolutely true. Once again, I drive a lot of places. I hate driving. Mm. I find it, especially in England, in America, I imagine driving is quite nice because you've got miles and miles and miles of open road in states that are nowhere near as densely populated as, yeah. as England is. Mm. In England, we are such a densely populated country. If you try yeah, to drive it's crowded. anywhere, it's awful. Yeah. Absolutely. God forbid you try and drive in a city because yeah. our cities are just not built for it. Mm. So if we had better public transport networks, that would actually be quite useful. It would be, and yeah. Quite pleasant. An American isolationist, hmm, construction firms laundering funds into their own pockets and the campaigns of their buddies in Parliament that got them the contracts in the first place. I think this practice dates back to the Roman Empire. Funny how all roads lead back to Rome. It's yep. good, yeah. Got it every day. Every time. Tom Gordon, my mate just got a job working on overseeing parts of HS2, and basically from what he said, it's an absolute S show. Yeah. No surprise. No surprise. No surprise. You're just confirming what I already suspected, so thank mm -hmm. you for that. MC, lately in the US, I've seen people start to push anti-car narratives, propaganda about walkable cities. Uh -huh. if, smaller if smaller countries where public transport is a mainstay struggle to get it right, I've no real confidence that the American government could. I'll keep my car, thanks. Yeah, Good. you keep a hold of your car. Keep a hold of it, yeah. Once again, I would, in, in England, because of the size of the country, I would much prefer walkable cities. Yes. But the councils and local governments and national governments that we have over here are not focused on actually providing what they're selling you they're focused on selling you the idea that what they're selling you is mm. good and then giving money to all of their buddies to sit around and not, not deliver for decades. Uh, okay. uh, do you want to go on to some of your yeah, comments here? Yeah, sure. Producer? Um, Baron Von Warhawk says, the half-naked brute uh, pissing in, in a Roman fountain is the perfect metaphor for the entire migrations crisis. Yep. Uh, Kevin Fox says, all that is happening is that the likes of the Somalis, Ethiopians, Eritreans are bring the conflict from their countries to a European city near you. Every single time. Uh, someone online says, an influx of aimless fighting age men can only ever bring good things. Sarcasm, um, of course. <laughs> uh, Sophie Liv says, <coughs> excuse me, 
funny things that has happened so far. Italy has acted to transfer these migrants into the Europe mainland. Germ- Germany has said, oh no, you can't do that, but don't bring them here. But also, you are not allowed to send them back. Poland has started to chew our... Poland has started to chew our, the Turkish mafia. I think out. Out, chew sorry. Out chew out the Turks, sorry. Um, for being a key part of the human smuggling. Germany is, of course, chewing out Poland for being racist. And if this had been 18,000 Russians entering Italy, you know the military would have been there ages ago. It's very, very true. Well, the funny thing is, I looked into it earlier, and Italy has about eight US military bases currently stationed on its mainland. So, so if they used, if, if, well, well, it could be used, but I think I know what if if Italy did decide to try and protect its borders in any meaningful way, I know for a fact that Joe Biden would say, "Hey." That's a human rights violation. You can't do that. And we do have eight military bases <laughs> yeah. in the country, so be careful. Yeah. The letter M is not for millions. Uh, lads, from now on, each time invasion boat videos... Sorry. Lads, from now on, each time invasion boat videos, can you faintly play invasion-sounding music in the background? I need to hear what faintly invasion... Would, it just, would that just be the Halo theme? Yeah, it should be. Charles... Charles Francis Montgomery, Gallard, uh, Oliver. Uh, the whole point of border enforcement is the threat of force. Yep. Captain Charlie the Beagle says, regarding Lampedasia, uh, I think the Italians need to revert to their Roman traditions, elect a dictator to solve the issue and send in the legions to clear them out. Uh, then again, God's greatest curse was turning the Romans into <laughs> Italians. So little chance of that. I w- wouldn't that be amazing though if the if you see the boats coming in and then in the distance you see the legions approaching <laughs> with the shields century yeah. gear, with the shields in formation that would be amazing I would regain hope you can see a protest movement with that with that happening they should you do can. it the British protest movement should all of us be stripping down into nothing but loincloths and painting <laughs> blue tattoos on ourselves and waving around axes and spears <laughs> We need to go back to tribal roots. Embrace tradition. Uh, Omar Awad uh, says, I think the invasion of Lampedusa uh, could better be described as the betrayal of Lampedusa. No government on this earth lacks the power to stop these NGO-facilitated invasions. It is a conscious, deliberate deliberate miscarriage of duty to protect the citizenry. I think... um, the betrayal of Lampedusa sounds better. I should have named it that. Oh, we could just change it for when it goes on YouTube. Yeah, betrayal. That, that is a good way of putting it. I think yeah. we've got maybe a minute left, so I'll go through one or two. Uh, for Deliveroo, JC says, I worked as a delivery driver for a bit when I was at university. Pay was really bad. Competition for deliveries was really intense. Ended up hanging about with no deliveries for hours. And there were people who were driving cars and using multiple employers like Uber and Just Eat, etc., to gain the system. No surprise. Ewan Baker, I'm in favor of these delivery sites being banned. They encourage lazy behavior and unhealthy eating. Yes, they do, actually. I say this as someone who is guilty of doing so. We all are. We all are because, sadly, we're all in the postmodern condition where everything is lazy, everything is easy, everything is purely based on convenience. Mm -hmm. And so if it's going to be that people work on incentives, if your incentive is to be lazy, nine people out of ten will be lazy. Yeah. One last one. 
the French Tunisian boat merchant, I'm a simple man. I only order food delivery if it's a service the restaurant provides themselves. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. Also, Ben Cronin, just one last one. Shafi cycled 19 miles in 12 hours. Is he the world's slowest cyclist? <laughs> I used to cycle 20 miles a day just to commute to work from Crystal Palace to Westburn Park and back in. Yeah, actually, when I was on holiday in the past week, there was a gym at the place that I was staying at and I was on the spin bike that they've got there trying to just burn calories. And if you're all right on them, you can probably travel about 15 miles in an mm. hour on them, as, as they say there, but it's not, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, anyway, that's all we've got time for. Sorry for the hefty dose of black pills. <laughs> I've just, I'm not, uh, I'm feeling a bit better now. Oh, yeah, I need no. to get out of my system. Just rant. Yeah, there, there you go. So uh, we'll, we'll be uh, seeing you on YouTube on the weekend segments and we'll be seeing you again next Monday at one o'clock. Thank you again, Lewis. Would you like to remind everybody where they can find you? Yes, you can find me on Instagram, Telegram, Twitter, or formerly known as Twitter, X, um, and YouTube as well, Lewis Brackpool or Lewis underscore Brackpool. It's up Wonderful. to you. Thank you very much for watching. Enjoy your weekend and take care. Goodbye. Thank you.